Alrighty, okay, so we're still looking at these brilliant questions that Jesus asked. And we're looking at the one this morning um, where he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Um, and he asked this question in, um, in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. So, this is, so Matthew 5 to 7 is this long series of teaching that Jesus does. Um, essentially, he's kind of teaching and explaining what this kind of upside down kingdom that we now live in actually looks like. What, what does that, that mean? And so what I want to do um, is, is to look at that question, but in, in the context of um, where we find it, which is in Matthew 5 um, verses 38 to 48. So and it's some of the most challenging things that Jesus says um, in the New Testament. And so I don't want to just look at that one question, if you only love I, if it's all right with you. I mean, I've got the microphone. So this is what we're doing. Like it or not, I'm going to, we're going to look at these 10 verses and look at these things that Jesus does and, and ask, well, what does that actually mean for us? So I'm going to pray. And if you've got your Bibles, jump into Matthew 5. God, I want to thank you that you're with us. Um, Jesus, we love you and we so want to be like you. Um, forgive us when we're not. Help us when we need to be um, and change us so that we genuinely do look and sound and act just like you, Jesus. Um, so guys, yeah, come help us understand your word. Help us be changed and challenged by it. Um, and in all of it, um, Jesus, extend your kingdom and lift up your name, we ask. Amen. Alrighty, let me read this to you. This is Jesus talking. So he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it that it was said, love your, en- your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. Alrighty. Essentially, I think this bit of teaching is yet another example of when Jesus is unpacking um, and explaining to us that, you know, the bottom line, the foundation of this new kingdom we're in is that everything is grace. Like it's grace that came towards us to establish us in this new kingdom. And so now when we're living in this kingdom, it's grace that needs to come out of us. That's, that's the big picture. And in all of this, Jesus is really kind of contrasting and trying to, to demonstrate actually this this new kingdom, this new covenant that God was making with his people through Jesus compared to the old covenant and particularly how that old covenant had, where they'd ended up. So how the religious leaders of the time, actually how culture and religious culture particularly, how it had landed. And Jesus consistently, if you look throughout the gospels, you know, he's teaching about the kingdom and he's demonstrating the kingdom with signs and wonders. And always it's, it's so different to what people were expecting. Right? So essentially we've got this conflict between it's, it's old covenant, new covenant. It's law versus grace. Right? This, is, this is where I feel like this comes together. So the law um, was actually, is anything that is an external framework, external requirements um, that you had to live up to. These are the things you shouldn't do. These are the things that you should do. It's this external motivation and framework. And that, that was the context. Actually, there was the law that was given for people to keep in order to be right with God. But, but now, for you and I as followers of Jesus, since Jesus came, actually, it's about grace, where there is a radical transformation on the inside. And we are now internally changed. So we're empowered and motivated from the inside to live a different way. 
And listen, the results, you know, the results of our behaviour and how we live actually may well be very similar to the things that God says in his law, but it's, but it's kind of like the motivation and the fuel behind those things is different, right? So we shift from this external lift of rules, you know, boxes to tick, to actually a, a grace-filled lifestyle. It's an internal transformation, not just superficial behaviour modification. I, don't, I just don't think Jesus is interested in that because actually that's what he saw with the Pharisees, external behaviour modification without actually a heart change. And so all the individual things um, that he's saying to us, he is provoking and challenging us, in this passage particularly, to move from, what do I have to do? Like, like what, do I, what am I obliged to do? To, and moving away from, well, what does that person deserve you know, or what's in it for me? What do I get to hold on to? What do I get to have? It's a shift away from that to actually, what does it look like for me to live in grace? Where actually I'm empowered to give and to respond and to serve and to love in a way that is extremely different from what other people might expect, extent, expect from us. And, and the thing is this, having received you know, the ridiculous grace of God, actually, we now have to live in it. So life, life has absolutely got to look different. Right? If when we receive the incredible grace of God, yeah, it's just not good enough for it not to make a discernible difference to, to the way we live our lives, to the way we treat people around us. Right? We have to be different. Like there is a way different standard and a way higher standard for us to live from. But it is all grace. And really what um what Jesus wants to go after is is actually and he says elsewhere in the gospels, actually freely you've received, freely give. So actually we have to be super careful that we don't fall into living in this amazing new covenant where actually we are saved through faith in Jesus and because of the grace of God, right? And grace means that everything, grace and mercy are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? So mercy means I'm let off. I don't actually reap the fruit of what my sins deserve. It means actually the punishment, the separation from God, you know, the the consequences of my sin, I actually am let off. That's what mercy is. And if it was just mercy that was extended to us, that would be good enough, right? But it isn't. Grace goes even further, which says, actually, the things that I don't deserve, that I could never have earned, those things get thrust my way as well, right? That's what we've received, So this really simple principle is that is what you've received, that is what you need to give. And so we need to be super careful that we don't live, you know, actually posturing ourselves that we expect to receive grace from God, but actually what I give to other people, I'm back under a law-based give and take, cause and effect, you know, I'll treat you according to how you treat me and I'll do what I have to do and what I'm obliged to do. That's, That's not good enough. Right? If grace is coming towards me, it, grace has to come out for me as well. That's what he's going after. We need to be super careful. We don't kind of have one rule for me and another rule for you. Right? I will live by grace. And actually, you know, Jesus doesn't hold my mistakes against me. And he's kind and he's patient with my frailty and my weakness. But I am absolutely not going to be like that with other people. I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to be critical. And they're going to get what's coming to them. Right? It's not good enough. Right? It's not okay to have one rule for me and another for other people. That's what he's going after. And it's, listen, it's really hard teaching. And we could, we could spend like a whole series just looking and unpacking at the individual things that, um, that Jesus says in this passage. And I'm going to go through them at speed to kind of get some general principles. But they're really challenging statements, right? And, and potentially they're a little bit confusing. And honestly, they would, we could miss 
we could misunderstand them and misinterpret them to actually what Jesus is doing. He's not instituting, like, he's not setting up a new covenant. It's just a, a new old covenant, right? And it's still actually about rules. It's just actually that they're slightly different rules and actually slightly harder rules, yeah? So where, you know, where it says, actually, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm saying, don't even look at someone with anger at your heart. You could, we could still say it's still a tick box exercise. It's just the rules are different. It's not, okay? We have to understand this is, this is about an internal transformation that has a difference. But you could, you could understand these things differently, right? So you could use, and probably horribly, it has been misused. You know, you could have you know, that phrase, turn the other cheek. If someone slaps you on your right cheek, you don't resist, you turn the other cheek, right? If we just take that as an external requirement, like what does that mean for someone who's in an abusive relationship? Right? You could take that verse, so don't resist evil, like when your partner hits you, you just turn and let them hit you. Like, we would, like Jesus would never ask us to do that, right? Someone is in an abusive, violent relationship, you, you say, get out. So we have to kind of slightly understand what's going on the inside, not just have them as an external framework to apply, right? Similarly, someone, you know, someone forces you to go the extra mile, and Jesus says, actually, don't just do one, do two. It does that mean in your workplace when your boss says, hey, I need some overtime from you. I need you to do an extra hour. You say, yes, wonderful. Please, may I give you another two hours? And actually, we have no boundaries. And so you constantly miss your kids' football matches or birthday parties and you're a slave to the... Like, it's not... That's not it either. But again, you can see if we just take what Jesus says as a rule list, we could end up a little bit wonky, right? Does it mean that Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks, where they resisted evil... Were they wrong? Actually, should they have said, well, you know, it says just sit on the back of the bus. Should they actually have said, well, just don't even get on the bus? And some people, apparently Leo Tolstoy, you heard him, Russian author, apparently he genuinely, this whole, you know, do not resist evil, he took it to the extreme where he thought we shouldn't have police and magistrates in the middle. Like, I'm like I, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. So we have to understand um, it's, he's not giving us a literal list of things to do so that if someone comes and sues you for your shirt, you know what you're going to do. Because I'm going to go out on a limb here and presume no one has ever been sued for the shirt off your... I guess, right? I, that isn't exactly what Jesus is doing. And what he's doing is he uses this technique called hyperbole, right? You've heard of that. So he makes these extreme statements to make a point, And always, he makes extreme statements not to give us a new list of behaviour rules, but actually to reveal the heart and say there's got to be something going on on the inside, Right? So when he says, listen, if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out, right? If we took that literally, I don't think there'd be an eyeball in the room. So that isn't what he's saying, but he uses this technique to, to reveal our hearts. And particularly, you know, when he was kind of walking the earth, the, the culture that we, they were in, he was really kicking against what actually the religious leaders of the time is they had distorted the law, which God intended to be given as a way to protect Man's relationship with God and man's relationship with each other. That's what he was given for. But they'd reduced it down and distorted it to this heartless tick box, which was really about serving their own interests. And how much can I get away with? And how much can I require of other people? Rather than how can I love and worship God with everything I am? How can I love and serve the people he's put around me? Right? That heart attitude was a million miles from where the Pharisees had ended up. So Jesus is making these extreme statements to address that, not giving us a new list of behaviour rules. Happy? Make sense? Okay. You can interact with me. So let's super quick, let's go through some of the things that he says. So the first one he says is this whole thing of an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. He's like, you've heard this said. And the reason they've heard it said is because it was in the Old Testament law, right? That was, that was given. Now, the reason it was given, I need to make sure I use the right phrase, is it was this principle of equal retaliation. 
The reason that law was given to Moses was to control excess, right? So that we didn't get into a situation. So someone comes and, and punches me in the face and breaks my tooth. And I, I give them that back and then some, right? And I'm going to break both your legs. It's actually, it was to control an excessive retaliation, right? But actually, the distortion had come, which basically meant if someone hits me, then awesome, how hard do I get to hit them back? It's like, how much can I get away with? How hard can I kick back? So what does that mean for us, right? I mean, essentially, when and it's the same thing. It says, listen, you've heard this said. This is how you've been operating. If someone hits me, then I get to hit them back just as hard. That's what they kind of diluted it down to. And Jesus is saying, actually, what I'm saying to you, if someone hits you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. Now, again, bear in mind, we're not having that as a, a prescriptive behaviour that you then put onto abusive relationships or, you know, like, it's not that. But what does it actually mean? What he's, what he's asking us, the question underneath that statement is, what are you going to do when someone offends you? Right? So culturally, to be struck across the face was like super disrespectful, particularly with the back of the hat, like it was public disgrace and disrespect. Right? What is our response when we are dishonoured, when we're disrespected, when we are offended, when someone does hit out at us, maybe verbally, maybe physically. Like, what is our response? And the, the kind of the root that Jesus, I think, is going after is actually, it's kicking against this need for me to defend and justify and vindicate myself, that I get to take revenge and I get to, to retaliate. He's like, if that, and that was what was motivating how the Pharisees were, were using that, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was like, awesome, I get to kick back this hard. Where Jesus is coming against that, saying, actually, what does it look like for you to trust me to protect you, that actually I'm your vindication? So actually, you don't need to do those things. Actually, so how I respond isn't on the basis of what I'm getting from you. So here's the thing, if we are living in a grace-filled kingdom, you and I, we have to figure out, are we going to be thermostats or thermometers, right? So the thermometer takes the temperature, yeah? So you come into a room with a thermometer and it, 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 a thermometer responds to the temperature that you place it in. Is that right? Oh, thank you, Katie. Yeah? That's what a, th- a, th- a thermostat sets the temperature, Right? I think we're supposed to be thermostats. So my response to you is not on the basis of what you give to me. It's about grace. I get to set the temperature. I get to set the climate. And what was going on here was it wasn't. It was like, actually, how I respond to you is entirely determined by what you throw at me. And that's not it. That isn't how God has responded to us. We sung it this morning. There's grace to spare for all our mistakes. Like it, it wrecks me. It's like there's more than enough grace for all of my frailty and all my mistakes and all my pride and insecurity. And, and therefore, there has to be grace to spare what then I expend to other people. Not I'm going to hit back just as hard as you hit me. There's got to be a different way. The second one he goes after is this whole thing about suing you, your, suing you for your shirt and then giving them your coat. Again, culturally, what's going on? You could be sued for your possessions, right? But there's a, there literally is, in the Old Testament, there's this... Re- this, this verse that says you cannot sue someone for their coat because coats often doubled up as covering. So it's the idea, actually, you cannot take someone's covering, their protection, and, and leave them with nothing, right? So that is where that was coming from. So Jesus is saying, listen, don't... Actually, he's saying, give them everything and don't need to kind of hold on to it. And then he says, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two. And this was this idea of... Um, 
So for the, for the Roman, occupying Roman forces, they were legally and militarily, they were absolutely entitled. They could come up to, I could be on my way and I could kind of be strolling along and say, right, Sarah, I need you to come and carry my bags for a mile. And you didn't have any kind of say or come back. It was like, okay, you had to do that. That's why you see in the gospel narratives where Jesus is crucified, Simon has to carry the cross, right? That was the Roman soldier saying, hey, you, I want you to come and carry this. So that was a, that was a thing that could be asked. Someone could come alongside and require something of you. So what Jesus is saying is, are you going to do the thing that they've asked of you, which actually you probably don't have any choice in, are you, or are you going to go the extra mile? We use That's a phrase we use in modern day English, right? Actually going the extra mile. So what do we do? Like, what is your response when someone who is entitled to um, require something of you, but it's actually maybe really inconvenient, or maybe it actually isn't really fair? Like, what is my response, right? Do I begrudgingly do the bare minimum... Or do I look to go above and beyond? Right? Do I look to, and this whole thing about you know, being sued for your shirt and your coats, it's like actually, it's kicking against this tendency to absolutely hold on to what's mine. Right? My rights, my possession, my comfort, my need to be right and to be vindicated. Like it's holding on to our rights, which Jesus is like, actually, that isn't, that isn't what we're here to do. One of the things we're called to do is take up our cross and deny ourselves those rights. And again, I'm going to come on to it because I think it's super, super important. In none of this is Jesus asking us to be doormats or victims. And I do want to pick up on that a bit. But, this, but what Jesus is, again, he's using these extreme statements to reveal our hearts to say, actually, what is my attitude? Is it that I am insisting on my rights and my possessions and holding on to what's mine? Right? Or actually, am I confident God is my provider? His grace is sufficient. So, okay. Actually, I can let go of that. I can actually go above and beyond, not just. And I'm sure in, in you've, you come across the sort of people who will do the bare minimum, you know, just what you've asked and with a miserable attitude. Anyone has a child. We've had those moments. Luke and Abby, would you do the washing up? <gasps> do I have to? Actually, they're really good. I, that's not fair. But like, you've, you've had those moments where I will begrudgingly do the bare minimum and I'll actually intentionally... You know, leave a few pots on the side that I haven't noticed. It's like, what would it look like, actually? Teenagers, youth. When someone says, would you do the pots? Say, yes, absolutely. And please, can I do the ironing too? <laughs> It'd be glorious. This is what Jesus is saying. Actually, what is it that we get to give above and beyond what's being asked or required or even demanded of us? Even if what's being required and demanding like, seems unfair and like, it doesn't fit right for us right now. Again, we're not under the law now where we have this tick box. We are motivated by grace, which is always above and beyond what the person towards us maybe deserves or has earned. That isn't how God treated us. We can never earn or deserve everything that he's given us. And so we have to extend that to other people. So then he goes on, this whole thing about loving, loving your enemies. Again, so in the Old Testament, it definitely does say that you should love your neighbour. It doesn't say anywhere in the Old Testament about hating your enemies. It does, that, that phrase, you've heard it said, Love your neighbour, hate your enemies. That isn't what the law had required, but that is entirely what things had kind of diluted and distorted down to. That was what was kind of culturally accepted. I would love the Jewish people who are like me, and I don't have to. And Jesus consistently kicked against that, right? The story of the Good Samaritan. He just blows open that view of, okay, you saying love your neighbour. Well, let me just tell you, your neighbour is actually everyone. It's not just the people like you, Right? That isn't it. He has this really big picture of who our neighbour is. And so, but it goes further than that. It goes, actually, what about those people who are, who are your enemies, right? And again, this, this, is like, this is personally for us. In your, like, who are the people who maybe aren't for me, who actually 
aren't I out to make life easy for? They're out to make life difficult for me and they're critical and they're difficult and they actually are a pain in my backside. Like, what do we do with those people, right? Because what we're called to do is to love them and pray for them, which is, and listen, which just acknowledge, be super honest, it's really hard to love people who are coming at you like that. It's really difficult. In fact, it's pretty impossible. But here's the thing. Like, grace empowers us for the impossible, We're called to live a supernatural lifestyle where I can genuinely love and pray for people who are persecuting me. Now listen, you know, we're not persecuted as a a church at the moment, but maybe you are. You know, people take the mick for going to church or people undermine who you are or they might like difficult for you at work or like that might happen. And the reason I think Jesus says, listen, pray for them is because that is the only way I know to actually change your heart, right? Actually to genuinely start praying. And listen, it can start off with the choice of your will, Right? My will, I'm going to choose to pray for that person. God, would you bless them? Would you protect their health? Would you provide what they need financially? Even if my heart attitude still is, I really dislike them. I can make a choice initially to start praying with my spirit. And then other things will line up. It honestly does change things. So I think that praying for people who persecute you is, is actually the way that we can then begin to genuinely love our enemies. If we're trying to love our enemies without praying for them... I, would, I just keep bumping into my flesh, which is, but I just still don't like them. And they're still really unfair. When we pray for them, it makes a difference. And then he lands on this bit, verses 46 and 47, which is actually the, the question that we, we've pulled out for this series. Which is, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Right? And remember that tax collectors at the time were kind of frowned upon because they would you know, skim as much of the tax as they could. So they were kind of the bad guys. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? So here's the big question. Actually, how are we different? What are we doing that is above and beyond? Actually, we're called to a higher standard. Because let's be honest, it's easy to love people who look and sound like me. Right? People who are kind to me, people who vote like me, who enjoy the same things I do, who have the same view of, of marriage and sexuality and politics and economics. It's easy to love those people. Actually, but how do I love people who are really not like me, who don't see the world like me, who don't do life like I do? How do I love them? Because if I only love people who look like me, sound like me, do life like me, Jesus is saying that's not good enough. But this is what had been accepted. First century Israel, it was at, that was just love the people who are like you, disregard everybody else. That's not it. Right? So, and, and listen, all of this, I'm aware, I'm talking very conceptually. I need you to kind of walk with the Lord and say, okay, what does that look like? Where does the rubber hit the road for me in your life where you're at right now? Who are maybe those people who aren't your people? That's what he says. If you only love your people who are like you, your people, how are you doing anything different? So who are people that God has put in your life, maybe in your office, maybe in your school, maybe in, who actually aren't like you? They don't, they don't immediately land and they don't feel like my people. How am I loving them? What does that look like? Right? Do I only invite people around to my house who are like me, who actually it's comfortable, you know, and actually it's this really replenishing relationship. And listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't have friendships that actually pour into us and people that we can just be, of course we need those things. But actually, I think what Jesus is going after here is how can I, how can I carve out some time in my heart and my diary and my home around my table for people who aren't necessarily like me? What does that look like? How do I love and greet people who aren't necessarily like me? So here's the big bottom line. Here's the big question that Jesus is going after with these examples is this. How do we respond and treat and react and interact with people? Is it based on what, how they are towards me? 
Right? Is it based on what I perceive them to have deserved or earned to, from me? Is it based on what's comfortable and convenient for me right now? Is it purely based on, well, because I'm going to have to, you know, begrudgingly, I'm obliged to do this, so is that how we treat people? Or is it determined by grace? And so what does grace look like in those specific situations and relationships you find yourself in? But I, I do want to, just for a moment, go slightly sideways, because it, it would be easy to take that and say, do you know what, as Christians, we're supposed to be absolutely passive. We're supposed to be doormats, and we're victims of the work. Like, that is not what Jesus is going after. And the reason I can say that confidently is if you read the whole of the Bible, which is always a good idea, right? Let's know, let's know the big story. Is Actually, I don't think there's anywhere where we can say that. What Jesus is saying here is that we're to have no boundaries. We're not to have any value for ourselves and for our time. And we're absolutely, like, to be victims. That is absolutely not it, right? So Jesus, when he's brought before the high priest, um, and I think one of those temple guards slaps him around the face. He doesn't turn the other cheek. He actually says, hey, if I'm speaking the truth, why have you hit me? He actually pushes back. And there's two episodes, particularly in, the, in if you read in Acts, when Paul is, um, he actually holds up his rights as a Roman citizen. So once when he and Silas are in prison, um, and he says, hey, hold on a minute, we're Roman citizens, why have you, and they, they get out early. Um, and then also towards the end of his life, the reason he ends up is in Rome is because he appealed as a Roman citizen and said, hey, Actually, the way you're treating me when he's been hauled into prison and in front of um, the magistrate, he's like, actually not cool. Right? He doesn't turn the other cheek. He doesn't just quietly sit back. Jesus turning over the tables, right? It's not a weak, passive Jesus, meek and mild. And it, Jesus even says it in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, if he offends you, go to him and point it out. So well, hang on a minute. If someone slaps me around the face, do I either turn the other cheek or do I go to them and say, hey, not okay? Because actually Jesus says both of those things. It's these beautiful tensions. Is it, is it this or is it the other? It's actually lean into Holy Spirit and ask him. Because in different situations, honestly, it might be different. And let's be honest, different personality types, I would way easily turn the other cheek and not confront because I don't like confrontation. Whereas maybe some of you are more wired the other way and I'm like, I will kick back. I will point out. No problem. And we can make ourselves feel super holy because I'm doing it because what, that's what Jesus said. Like, well, yeah, but he said both. So how do we figure that out? I think the reason, the thing we have to figure out is this idea of meekness. And I know I've, spoke, I've taught on this a few times before, so forgive me if you've, if you've heard before, but I think it's really important, right? We are not called to be a weak, passive people, right? But we are called to be meek. In fact, in the Beatitudes, the beginning of Matthew 5, which said, blessed are, blessed are, you know that bit, right? One of the things it says is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, right? So sons and daughters of God with an incredible inheritance requires us to be meek, but what does it mean to be meek? Because I've never used that word in a normal conversation. I've only ever taught on meekness in church. I have never used that word. Because um, actually, it sounds like quite a weak word. Um, and actually, if you look in an English dictionary, the, the definition of meekness is it's something like humble, overly sub- spiritless, tame, overly submissive. And I'm just like, that sounds horrible. I don't want to be those things. And I don't think Jesus is those things. So spiritually, meekness, I think, is something a little different. And I think it's this, Philippians 2, super famous verse where Paul is saying, in your relationships with one another, right? So in our relationships with people, with our neighbours, with our enemies, with people who are like us, with people who are nothing like us. In our relationships, we need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it says this, this is verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? This is meekness in operation and it's all about our position and our posture. Let me explain it, right? Jesus' position was in very nature God, right? And it says he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Other translations say something to be grasped. But his position was fully equal with God, right? Jesus was the, in all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. That was Jesus' position. And Jesus did not work, walk the earth with an inferiority complex or an identity crisis. He knew absolutely who he was. That was his position. But then what it says, he didn't, he didn't consider that position what he was entitled to, his rights, what he was worthy of, he didn't consider that something to hold on to and use to his own advantage. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. Everything in their religious life was based on what can I do? This is all for my benefit and my advantage. But Jesus is entirely counterculture in that he says, actually, he didn't take those things, but actually he made himself nothing. Super important, the language. He wasn't made nothing. Jesus was never a victim and never was because he's a victorious one. He can't be a victim. But he, cho- he made himself nothing. He took up the position of a servant, not because someone inflicted that upon him, not because he thought he wasn't worth anything further. He knew exactly who he was, but he chose to take up a posture that was low, that was humble, that was serving. And that's what meekness is, right? Meekness is not a weak position that is inflicted on me because I'm a passive person and someone else gets to dictate my life. No. Meekness is an intentional, empowered choice of a really strong person who is positioned somewhere super high. And if you're in any question, we're positioned co-heirs with Jesus, right? Our position is at sons and daughters, fully accepted by God and entirely acceptable to him. And I know we've never earned or deserted it, but that's grace, Grace positions me up here. So then grace has to empower me to go low down here. Right? The position I have in Jesus is absolutely set. The posture I get to take up is my choice and that's on me. And this is what he's going after in Matthew 5. Is what is the posture you're going to take up to the people around you knowing the high, high position and calling you have in Jesus? Folks, that's the deal. That's what we've got to try and figure out. Freely received, freely give. Position in Jesus by grace, posture to love people, empowered by grace. This is the journey. This is what we've got to figure out, right? So when I am, you know, when people do things which are inconvenient or unfair or I'm offended or things are taken from me, demanded of me, you know, required of me, actually, what is my response? Do I endure those things because I'm like, well, poor me, you know, I deserve those things. I'm not worth anything more. And what could I possibly do? No. Like we're not to be boundaryless, but be- precisely because, do you know what? I know who I am and I know what my value is. I know my significance and worth before God, so absolutely I can go low. Even if I'm being wrong, there's this terrible verse in Corinthians which, where, where the Corinthians are basically taking each other to court, left, right and centre for everything. And Paul's just like, hold up, stop. This is my, my paraphrase. That's essentially what's going on. And there's this awful verse which I'm like, Jesus, why did you put that in the Bible? Which says, why not rather be wronged? Because I don't like to be, because it's not fair, and I deserve better than that. There's that, it rises in us, doesn't it? That kind of indignation, it's not fair. And I get it, because we're wired for justice. But listen, we get to lay those things down. We get to lay those rights down. 
We get to deny ourselves in that way. Listen, there's a, there's a subtle difference. There's nowhere in the Bible you will find that you're asked to deny your identity in Jesus or your worth or your value or significance. You are never asked to deny that. But actually to deny yourself your comforts, your rights, your priorities, to serve and love other people 100% all day long, that's what we're called to do. And it's hard, right? That is a hard lifestyle that we're called into. But grace empowers me to do something radically different, even when it's uncomfortable, inconvenient, or not necessarily fair. Grace empowers us to live another way. So if we're living in this grace-filled kingdom, actually I think living according to the grace rather than the law, and for them obviously the law was the kind of the Old Testament Jewish law, but for us the law might be actually the external requirements that are maybe in your workplace, you know, maybe the cultural norms in your office or even the cultural norms in your family, actually, that that becomes an external determination on how do I respond to people. That's not it. Right? We get to live according to grace. And that means we're going to ask fundamentally different questions. Right? So it's not what do I have to do begrudgingly or what do I get? It's actually what do I get to give? How can I love? How can I serve here? We'll ask a fundamentally different question going into a situation. So we'll act super differently. Right? So I live out of response to how God has treated me. I don't live out of reaction to what's going on around me and maybe how people are treating me. Right? I've received grace, I get to extend grace. And that has to come by actually, do you know what? I'm motivated because I am really sure of my position in God. Right? I'm absolutely convinced He is my great defender. He's the one who vindicates me. He's going to provide for me. He is going to protect me. And so actually I can I can lower my own defensive because I really trust myself to Him. So one of the things I think, you know, if we want to take up this challenge to take up this low posture of serving. We need to be super clear that we do know our position. It's not just a song we sing about. It genuinely is a Holy Spirit revelation. That is who I am. That is where he's positioned me. That actually then I can give radical sacrificial love that makes zero sense maybe to people around me. Actually, that is entirely not what they've deserved. But that's the way we get to live because that's how Jesus has treated us. And so, uh, listen, I want, I want us to pray, but I'm, I'm really aware these are kind of Again, these kind of big up-in-the-air kind of concepts. I honestly would, I'd love for you to take some time this week and ask God, what are the situations, the relationships that you're in right now where he needs you to make an adjustment that actually maybe we've, maybe we've ended up kind of getting caught up with, you know, I live according to what's going on around me. Actually, do you know what? I've been a little bit more of a thermometer rather than I get to set the culture, I get to set the t- temperature. And, and what that looks like. You know, maybe there are situations where, you know, your response has been more, I'm going to get to hit back and just how hard can I hit back rather than actually how can I love and starting with praying for people who are not on our side, who maybe are absolutely against us. Just pray for them every morning this week and I would bet my house on the fact by next Sunday you'll feel a wee bit different. Right, so why don't you stand, we're going to pray.